Well, hello there. We greet you with Jesus joy. Hello there. We greet you with Jesus joy. And what a delight it is to be able to share as far as Bible study is concerned on today. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made him. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. So glad for all of those who are joining us as far as Bible study is concerned. And we have a very interesting, interesting conversation that we want to to have as far as uh, today's time is concerned. And that is to uh, focus on what I would consider to be something that many of us, uh, if we're honest, have a, a very hard time dealing with. And that is the sovereignty of God when it comes to how things are handled. Uh, one of the things that we really struggle with in today's culture is an age-old question, is God fair or the fairness of God? So I want to unpack that hopefully and prayerfully in a very meaningful way that will uh, give us uh, what we need uh, to engage as far as our relationship with God. But before we do that, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we sense the move of God as far as our time together is concerned. I see several of you all are joining us online and we thank God for uh, you joining us and becoming a part of our conversation. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come and we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word, to learn more about you, to unpack what it means to be in relationship with you. And as we do that, oh God, uh, we pray right now that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that you, the master teacher, will be in this moment. Teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Show yourself strong and mighty, O God, and we will bless your name for that. And we'll be so careful uh, to give you the glory, to give you the honor, and to give you the praise. It is in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And we claim it done. Amen. 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 See, several of you all that are joining us online, and thank you all so much, so, so much uh, for uh, this time as far as our time together is concerned. Do me a favor, if you would, get your Bible, uh, either physical or digital. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we want to look at verses 9 through, I mean, verses 18 through 21. Romans chapter 9, verse 18 through verse 21. Romans chapter 9, verse 18 through verse 21. And it reads like this. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. And this is talking about God. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? I want you to highlight that. <laughs> highlight that verse. Highlight that verse. That, that's going to be the crux of the matter. That's going to be the crux of the conversation. Verse 18. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he will, and whom he wills, he hardens. Verse 19. You will then say to me, you will say to me then, why does God still find fault for who has resisted his will? Verse 20. But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Underline that. Will the thing formed say to him who have formed it, why did you make me like this? Verse 21, key verse for the day sharing. Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make a vessel of honor and another for dishonor? Now I want you to highlight, highlight verse 21 as well. This is so rich. This is absolutely so rich. So rich. So rich. So we want to talk about. So we want to talk about um, uh, deal with the fairness of God. The fairness of God. Um, and and I want to be the first to say, do we really want God to be fair? <laughs> I think that's something that we need to really. Uh, wrestle with, do we really want God to be fair? And I think that the question we really have to wrestle with is who determines what's fair? 
right? I want, I want, to, I want that to marinate just for a moment. Who determines what's fair? Okay, who determines what's fair? All right. So I've had you all to highlight uh, some things, and uh, I've I've had you all to uh, look at verses eighteen through twenty one, um, and and we're going to really try to unpack this in a very meaningful way that I hope and pray that will be a blessing to us. Kind of want to um, start this off with, uh, if it was the sovereign, eternal purpose of God to show all the sides of God's nature to both humanity and angels, and if God decided to do it on a little blue ball <laughs> in the a speck in the entire cosmos that we call the planet Earth in such a way that some of them would be damned forever and others would spend eternity in joy and bliss in heaven. Is that fair? Is that right? Is that a good God that will create some to be in heaven and others to spend eternity in hell. Is that fair? And, 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 and if it's predetermined, who can resist it? Who can resist it? This is where I really want to unpack some stuff. Um, because when it comes to talking about the fairness of God, a whole lot of us missed the boat. And I want to be very methodical and careful how we unpack this. So this question about the fairness of God, about the fairness of God, it, it ain't nothing new. Uh, it's, it's an age old question. Um, think about Job when he was going through all the stuff that he was going through. And if you ever read the story of Job, uh, one of the things that I tried to help people to understand about Job is that Job was not a patient person. So we need to get rid of that understanding about having the patience of Job because Job was going at God and his friends from chapter five to chapter 37. Uh, Job had a whole lot of questions for God. So. Let's let's unpack. Let's unpack this. Let's unpack this. Let's unpack this. Um, um, let's let's unpack this. And I want to be, again, very, very intentional as far as um, talking about talking about uh, the fairness of of God. Uh, and, and, it's a, and it's a fair question uh, for us to to ask. OK, it's a fair question for us to wrestle with. Uh, it's a fair question to ask. So, uh, when we look at when we look at the fairness uh, of God, when we look at the fairness of God, uh, there are some people who tend to say, "Well, when it comes to the fairness of God, it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. Some folks are going to heaven, others are going to hell. That's it." Regardless of what you do, that's it. Okay. There was, um, if I could, uh, there was a group known as the Armenians who would talk about um, how, for the most part, there is no concept of the justification of faith, justification by faith. You do not have. Um, uh, you do not have the capacity to make a decision. And basically, since we are corrupted by Adam, it is what it is. Now, as, as we move forward, as far as this issue is concerned, I, I want to focus on verse 19 because verse 19 really raises the protest of what God uh, what what Paul is wrestling with um, as he's talking to 
what I would call um, a rhetorical device of talking to humanity. Paul says, why does God blame people if he made us the way that he made us? <laughs> uh, uh, can, can, can we help it if we fulfill God's will? If we do God's will, watch this. If we're doing God's will, then how is it that God can doom some people to heaven, doom others to hell, if they're carrying forth the will of God? As a matter of fact, this is where I would dare say um, some people have introduced what is called universalism. Universalism is the idea that everybody's going to be saved, okay, that everybody's going to heaven and that everybody's good. Why? Because everyone is fulfilling what the will of God for their lives by doing what they do, all right? That is not what this text means, and, and we got to unpack this in, in a very meaningful way, all right? So as Paul raises this question in verse uh, 19, he comes back with uh, a retort. And that retort is, who are we <laughs> to question God? Okay. All right. Um, who are we to reply against God? Will the thing form say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? All right. Now, I got to slow walk us because if, if I don't, if I, if, if I don't slow walk you through this, what's going to wind up happening is that when it comes time to really developing and engaging in a relationship with the divine, you're going to miss some stuff. So I, I really want to slow walk this. And I want to read it, if I could, from a different translation. The message translation says, says it like this. Who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? Do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay does not talk back to the fingers that mold it saying, why did you shake me like this? It is obvious that a potter has a perfect right to shape one lump of clay into a, a vase for holding flowers and another into a pot for cooking beans. So in verse 20, Paul does two things. In verse 20, Paul rebukes the question, and then Paul gives a reason for the rebuke, all right? The rebuke is, but who are you, my friend, to talk back to God? Who do you think you are? Uh, this is not a conversation. This is, this is where some people get the idea you shouldn't have a question God. Okay, this from this verse, people can take the idea, well, you know, you should never question God. Uh, you should never uh, uh, talk back to God. Uh, and, and this is where some people hang their hat as far as that rebuke is concerned. Who are you to question God or to reply against God? All right. Paul brings the reader up short. Just as he's deciding that the complaint about God's fairness might have some validity and it makes him think twice about objecting to the actions of God. So, so Paul is expecting the reader to respond just as Job did when God confronted him in a similar way in Job chapters 38 through chapter 42. And if you don't remember the story of Job, uh, let me do, if I could, a quick rehash. Remember, Job was considered to be an upright man, one who hated evil, one who loved God and was considered to be a righteous man. Uh, as a matter of fact, Job was so uh, uh, in awe of God, so revered God that he would get up every morning, pray, make a sacrifice, not only for himself and for his wife, but even for his children, his seven sons and his three daughters. And so Job, you know, loved God, was a rich man, had it going on. All of a sudden, the enemy, Satan, the adversary, the accuser, comes before the court of heaven, uh, is engaging God in a conversation. God says, have you considered my servant Job? Uh, God unleashes Satan 
to throw everything at Job, including the kitchen sink, but not to touch his soul, or in other words, not to kill Job. So you know the story. If you've been in church half a second, Job lost everything, livestock, cattle, sheep, camel, oxen. Um, his children were killed by a ferocious wind. Um, his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? Job said, uh, the Lord give the Lord, take the weight, bless me the name of the Lord. His friends come back, sit with him for seven days. Silence. Then they start speaking and accusing him of every sin in the book. And Job goes back and forth and he starts questioning God. And I mean, when you read Job, it is so, so insightful as far as what I call human engagement with the divine that really has as its underlying a lament. He's going back at God. And he questions God. God lets him run off at the mouth, so to speak, until chapter 38. When you get to chapter 38, uh, God says, all right, Job, listen, I've, I've been listening to you long enough. Uh, uh, you, you, you had your questions. Uh, I got mine. I got mine. Uh, <laughs> where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you so smart, who, who determined uh, the measurements of the earth? T tell me, Job, you know, you, you got to know who, who stretched out the line as far as the earth is concerned or who uh, attached it to its orbit, who, who laid out the corner. Come on, Job, you know all this. And God retorts to Job. And Job basically said, Lord, listen, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Job got a response from God. And here's the thing. God never answered Job's question. Did you catch that? God never answered Job's question. But God did respond as far as that was concerned. Never answered his question, but did respond. So let me press this because this is the crux of the matter. After all, what is fair? What's fair? I want you to think about that. What is fair? Because see, where do you get your sense of fairness? Man, woman, child. You know, whenever we hear something to see something, that ain't fair. Where, where do you get your standard of what's fair? Because fairness has to be based on, here it is, a standard of what is right and wrong. Uh-oh, here comes, the, here, here it comes, here it comes. And you and I as fallen sinful human beings cannot define perfectly what's right and wrong. <whistles> Only God can. Only God can. Oh, I'm getting ready to come after us in this postmodern age of, of, of subjective uh, morality, where what's right for me may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for me. And I want to say what's right for you or for me, if it doesn't measure up to the standard of God, ain't right anyway. I don't care what you think. Okay, I, I, I don't care what you think. What's right for you, if it doesn't measure up to the standard of God, ain't right anyway. And that's the crux of the matter. Because apart from God's revealed will, there can be no objective, absolute standard of righteousness. Everything is subjective. Everything is subjective. And that's why we live in such a crazy society saying, well, you know, what's right for you may not be right for me. Hold it, hold 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 Here, Here's the favorite saying of today's culture. Well, that's not my truth. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't work for you. That's, that's not my truth. All right. And so because we live in this culture of subjective reality and because we live in this culture of subjective truth, one person's opinion of what is fair, therefore, is just as valid as the next. In other words, 
If you ain't going to listen to God, then you can do whatever you want to do. And if you're not going to allow for God's standard to be your standard, then basically there's no way for us to determine, here it is, what's fair from what's not. Because if God is not the determiner of what is right and wrong, then you and I are going to have an issue of what is fair and what's not. So here's the crux of the matter. Since God is the determiner of what is right and wrong, God is the determiner of what is fair and what's not. Ooh, 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 it's getting, it's getting, ready, it's getting ready to get real good now. It's getting ready to get real good. All right, all right. God is the ultimate determiner of what is fair and what is not, not human beings, which is, which is very interesting because even, even when it comes to legal matters in today's culture, um, uh, while, you know, we gather facts and we present evidence and we come up with rulings based upon quote, the law, we have to understand that even that is somewhat subjective. Okay. All right. All right. We have to understand that's somewhat subjective. Now, here's where I'm getting ready to make some folks mad. <laughs> here's where I'm getting ready to make some folks mad. Here, here, here's where I'm getting ready to make some folks mad. And, uh, some folks ain't gonna like what I'm getting ready to say, but here it is. Any judgment by a human being that an action of God is unfair, is wrong, very presumptuous, and needs to be brought into conformity with the word of God. Let me say that again. Any judgment by a human being that what God does is unfair, is wrong, presumptuous, and needs to be brought in line with the word of God after the objector has repented of charging God with wrongdoing. <laughs> now, let me, if I could, put the hay where the cows can get it because I'm getting ready to take us into some deep waters because that is, that is what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. The snake comes to Eve and Adam, and basically says, God's not fair. God knew that if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. All right? So this is what Satan did. Satan basically was the first person to say, God ain't fair. So when we say, watch this, uh-oh, when we say God ain't fair, we're being satanic. <gasps> ooh, ooh, ooh. Let me say it again. When we're saying God ain't fair, we're being demonic. Oh, ooh. When, when we're saying that God ain't fair, uh, 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 we, 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 ooh. Yeah, uh, 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 this is getting good to me. The charge that God is unfair, like the decision in the Garden of Eden to follow the devil's counsel in the preference to God's command, ultimately reveals a spirit of rebellious autonomy in the one who makes the claim that God ain't fair. So when you're saying God ain't fair, you know, you really want to know what you're doing. You're being arrogant. 
Let me take off my glasses. You're being arrogant. You're making an arrogant assumption. Watch this. That you, as a human being, can sit in the judgment of God. <gasps> oh! I, I, listen, look, look, look. I'm telling you, some of y'all ain't going to like what I'm teaching you right now. But when you're saying God ain't fair, you're really judging God. Now, now watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. Because we're the first to say, thou shalt not judge. And you can't judge me. But when we say God ain't fair, we're judging God. We're judging God. God and who are we to judge God? And here's here's where the rubber hits the road, y'all. Here's where the rubber hits the road because in today's age of secularism and humanism and atheism and agnosticism, humanism is the idea that human beings are the center of the universe. Secularism is the idea that we can do whatever we want to, when we want to, how we want to. Atheism is the belief there is no God. Agnosticism is the idea or doubting that God exists. All of that has invaded the church and it is taught in the church. And that's why I am teaching this right now. Paul puts it this way. Who are you to talk back to God? Yeah. Somebody say, who am I to judge anyone? There's a difference between judging folks and correcting folks. Let me just say that because I get tired of hearing folks saying you can't judge me. Uh, I can't I can't sentence you, but I do have the right to tell you when you're right and when you're wrong. And Paul deals with that aspect uh, in his writings to the Church of Corinth. So so in the church, we need to really stop and we really need to interpret Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, correctly, when Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged for the same judgment you meet, the same you should be done to you. Really what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to make a judgment call, you better make sure you got your stuff together. All right. Now, here's where, here's where we get in trouble with modern Christianity uh, that does not make us real disciples of Jesus. Because we have uh, a bevy of human-centered books, social media posts, broadcasts on radio and 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 television um, that is so human-centered uh, that it's all about me, 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 me. As a matter of fact, in a lot of our churches. We, 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 we don't necessarily preach the Bible more so than self-help and self-improvement, okay? We don't talk about God more so than we talk about, you know, how to be a better spouse, how to be a better husband, how to get your money, how, you know, and all of that stuff is fine, but it's so human-centered. And worship is really should be uh, God-centered. As a matter of fact, songs that are being perpetrated and perpetuated on 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 in 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 worship they are so human said i'm gonna get my blessing and all that stuff uh-huh. paul is trying to help us understand that um you and i on this little ball called earth somewhere in the vast expanse of god's universe universe that's at least 14 billion years old the earth is only four and a half to six billion years old that somewhere god decided to carry out god's divine drama on this planet all right so so who do you really think you are and when you think about paul's response you will see the futility of questioning the fairness of God. And and I'm hoping and praying that you will become aware of your sinful pride and arrogance and do like Job. Lord, listen, (laughs) oh, after you come at me like that, I got to put my hand over my mouth and repent in dust and ashes. All right. 
Now, what I like about Paul is that Paul doesn't merely write off the person that's raising the question um, in a rhetorical sense, but he answers it. All right. He answers it. And here's the answer. He says, the potter can do whatever he wants to. It's his clay. And he can do as he please. <laughs> the, pot, the potter can do what he wants to. He can make a pot for flowers and he can make a pot for cooking. He can do what he wants to. Yeah. See, watch this. The point of this analogy of humanity being like clay, um, um, the point of this analogy is not that man is like clay, rather. Rather, Paul stresses the right of God, the sovereignty of God, like the potter, to do whatever he wants to with his creation, because God does not have to answer to anybody for what God decides that God wants to do. Because on the day of judgment, you and I ain't going to be asking God any questions. <laughs> God's going to be asking us the question. So let me drill down. Let me drill down. So should God have created all of humanity for no other purpose than to consign them to hell? Now, let me help you understand that is not God's intent. Not because man was so precious and valuable, but because God wanted to display both sides of his divinity we would have no recourse and there would be no reason to protest. God can do whatever God wants to do with his own as God wishes. Now, this is difficult for, for some folks that's listening to me to accept this fact, but all Paul is saying in essence is this, if you don't get nothing else, get this. God is God. Humanity is humanity. And because of the corruption of the sinful nature for which we are born, we come into this world as self-centered, arrogant creatures who think the world revolves around us. All right. So here comes the crux of the matter. When you see that you are dependent, not independent, not self-determined, then and only then alone can you appreciate who God really is and who we really are. God is the creator. We are the creature. God is the maker. We are the made. God uh, uh, took divinity. God and his divinity took dust and formed humanity. All right. So I'm getting ready. I'm get. I'm getting ready to 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 to, to drop the bomb. Since God is the creator of all things who made you and me for God's pleasure, here it is. God does not exist to please us. God is not a cosmic bellhop that gives you what you want when you want it, when you insert the proper tip for prayer. You and I were made to glorify God. Okay, either as a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. And it's not incumbent upon God to glorify you. That's why God has chosen to save you, brother and sister, should not merely please you, it should blow your mind. Okay. Yeah. Now I see Sister, Sister Audrey say, if I don't understand what's going on in the situation, I should not say, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. No, you can say, Lord, I don't understand. You can say that. You can say that because that's demonstrating, Deacon Audrey, your what? Dependence on God. 
that's demonstrating your dependence on God. What I'm saying is don't be coming to God arrogant saying, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, Lord, I know better than you. Okay. So it's, 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 it, when I talk about questioning God, I'm not talking about, Lord, I don't get this. I don't like this. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is bringing a level of arrogance and hubris to the divine. All right. The charge of God being unfair can only be sustained. Here comes the fun part. The, the, the charge of God being unfair can only be sustained if you deserve something from God that God fails to give you. <gasps> oh! I'm getting ready to tee this ball up. I'm going to try to do like Aaron Judge last night and hit home run 61. Here it is. I'm getting ready to tee it up. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to hit home run 62. Here it is. Here it is. Y'all see me swinging? Y'all see me swinging? Y'all see me swinging? Here it is. Here it is. Let me say it again. The charge of unfairness is only sustained if you think you deserve something from God that God fails to give you. Here it is. Here it goes. Bow. Because God owes humanity nothing except the wages of sin. God, God owes nothing to us except the wages of sin, which is death. The payment of sin, which is, which is death. So if we want to talk about God being fair, you really don't want God to be fair because if God was fair, every time you and I sin, God has a right to take us out. God owes humanity nothing whatsoever except the penalty of sin, the wages of sin. Ah, just I'm gonna let that set for a moment. Let that set for a moment. Even before sin came into existence, watch this. Even before sin came into existence, when God created us and we were perfect, we had no claims on God. We were made by God. We were made by God. God wasn't made by us. So let me go ahead and close this thing out. And let me wrap it up. Does the ultimate purpose of God make evil good? No. Evil is evil. Bad is bad. It doesn't make it good. Evil cannot be good. But God can work all things together for good to those who love the Lord. All right. Evil is a horrible, arrogant manifestation of humanity's arrogance. Evil is not a substance that can be handled like spreading butter on toast. What we have to understand is it's a relationship between God and humanity, between the creature and the creator. It is, in essence, what evil is, is rebellion against God that has a whole bunch of different manifestations in which God's law call sin. Here's what evil boils down to it. God says, do something you don't, that's sin. God says, don't do something. You do it. That's sin. Sin is just straight up disobeying God. So what has happened is, now ain't no such thing as a little evil. That's like being a little pregnant, Ruby. <laughs> Either you're pregnant or you're not. Either you sin or you don't. Ain't no such thing as a little evil. But, but the concept of evil is also used 
to deal with the results of Adam's sin, pain, sorrow, sickness, death, suffering because of the curse. Um, uh, it's connected really to the standard of what God desires for us to be. So let me close on this and I'm done. God's justice is seen in God's refusal to allow sin to go unpunished. God's mercy in the way in which misery restrains humanity from further sin and greater wrath. That's why we're miserable at times. So we won't go too, too, too far. All right. The way in which God deals with sin is by sending Jesus Christ to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So hear me, hear me well. Evil, be it disobedience or the misery of creation due to the consequence of sin is in concert with the will of God in the ultimate demonstration of the sovereignty of God. Okay. So in other words, God permits evil to demonstrate God's fairness. All right. All right. So I close on that because I want you to understand that we really don't want God to be fair because if God was fair, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Thank God for both grace <laughs> and mercy as far as our lives are concerned. All right. Are there any questions before I close out? Any questions? If, if you have a question, put it in the chat. If you have any questions, put it in the chat. All right. Okay. If there aren't any questions, I, I want to uh, thank you all for joining us as far as uh, this time is concerned. I hope and pray that this has been insightful. Um, we're going to continue our lesson next week talking about the will of God. Uh, does God will ultimately come to pass? We're going to talk about that next week. Should have fun. And I uh, want to thank you all for joining us as far as that's concerned. So if you want to uh, read Romans chapter nine, that's a great chapter. Just 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 read all of Romans chapter nine and uh, we'll, we'll we're going to unpack that. Uh, I'm going to focus on about two or three verses next week. Um, uh, then I think I'm going to also look at Revelation. Mm, yeah, I think I'm going to look at Revelation, too. All right. Listen, as we get ready to close out um, uh, and we're moving forward. Uh, uh, oh, Ira said, God said, I desire that no one perish. Do you think it's fair for God to create one to be condemned to hell? Uh, God said, I desire uh, that no one perish. Do you, you think it's fair for God to create one to be condemned to hell? Um, so, again, that comes with the arrogance and the hubris of God can do whatever God wants to do. <laughs> it is it is our arrogance that questions what who who God can condemn to, to heaven, who God can sanction to heaven, who God can send to hell. Um, um, and that's what Paul is talking about. That is rather arrogant for us to try to judge God as far as that line is concerned. Now, what you're doing, brother Ira, is you're quoting the words of Jesus. Uh, and John, when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So um, when you think about that particular writing and the words of Jesus, Jesus is saying that basically you have the choice. You have the choice. Uh, even uh, in, in that in 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 wrestling with where we are with God, you you and I have the choice. So it ain't that 
because God knows the beginning from the end and we don't because God has perfect foreknowledge and we don't. God knows how this stuff is going to come out and we don't. Therefore, it becomes mighty presumptuous for us to um, uh, tell God uh, um, when he's right and wrong as far as condemnation is concerned. Yeah. Because God can do whatever we want to. So, yeah. Um, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and 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 that's a that's a hard that's a hard core um posture to 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 take because basically and it goes back to something that I said before that if God was really fair none of us would be here because the moment that you and I commit sin God has a right to do two things number 1 take us take us out and number 2 send us to hell God has that right because sin calls for that mandate. So, so, so the deeper question is, the deeper question is, brother Ira, God said, I desire no one perish. Do you think it's fair for God to create one to be condemned to hell? The moment that you and I commit sin, hell is out, should be our lot, but it's not because of grace and mercy. And God gives us a chance to choose Christ. So it ain't that God condemns folks to hell, it's that folks make that choice based upon the refusal of accepting Christ. All right. So hopefully I answered your question, Brother Ira. Um, um, as far as that's concerned. Um, and um, next week we'll, we'll attempt to talk about the will of God. Uh, Want to just give you all the opportunity that if you so desire, you can give even at this time. Want to thank you all for your gifts and graces you've demonstrated toward St. Paul um, in the, the sense of dealing with the water crisis. We have raised, we have sent $5,000 to uh, Mississippi to help their Baptist State Convention deal with um families that are facing water crisis. And also at the same time, we are at $41,000 for the Charlotte Rescue Mission. We are $9,000 away from reaching our $50,000 goal. And I am so appreciative of all that you all are doing. If you want to give even now for Bible study, you can give uh, through mail and check a money order to the church at, at 141 Allen Street. Uh, 28205. You can also give through ACS or Church Life. As far as our website is concerned, you can give through Givelify as well. Uh, or you can drop off check cash money order at the church if you so desire. Just call the church office at 704-334-5309 to make sure this one is there to receive your offering and put it in the safe for the next count. Um, and Brother Ira, I, I agree with your statement wholeheartedly. God is good all the time. Um, and God is more than gracious all the time. And God is more than merciful all the time as well. And so, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, it is my hope and prayer that this, this time of teaching, uh, hopefully I answered questions that have been raised. Um, um, as far as that's concerned, Lord said the same, we look forward to you all joining us on Sunday, um, for Sunday morning live in the various classes, as well as for worship at 10 o'clock. All right, let's close out a prayer. God, we thank you. And we lift up right now, those who are dealing with sickness. Uh, we've had loss in our church, the loss of sister Hattie. Uh, who used to be in our hymn choir. And um, it's kind of shaking us to the core. And then, Lord, there are other family and friends who are dealing with loss of loved ones, who are dealing with sickness, who are going through tough times right now. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters down in Florida. 
uh, who have caught the wrath of Hurricane Ian. And, and we pray right now, God, that you will uh, pull water back out to the ocean. We pray, oh God, that you will give them the resources that they need to navigate this moment. Uh, we pray for families who have lost loved ones, even because of that hurricane. Uh, God, I, I pray for those who have been part of this conversation, and we pray you will bless their households. Uh, continue to bless St. Paul Church and allow for us to do your work in a very meaningful, powerful way so that you'll get the glory, the honor, and the praise. Now, Lord, as we leave from this moment, keep us in your sovereign care. And we thank you, oh God, for not really being fair with us, because if you were, we wouldn't be here right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great time. God bless.